Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. I am Father Joseph Anthony Crest coming to you from Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, in today's episode, I am joined by Father Patrick Briscoe. Father Patrick, how are you doing today? Great, man. You know, we just wrapped things up um, for the semester here in Providence. So after Thanksgiving, all of our students are away. It's really quiet. Actually, the first day after <laughs> they went away was perfect because I, I get really sad when <laughs> students are gone. Um, so they're so they're gone. And we had like a hurricane. Uh, and it was just the, the it was the storm that reflected what it was like inside my heart <laughs> without students. It's just like rainy, wow. dour, windy, miserable. That's poetic right there, man. It was. The, but I, but I also did the... Hurricane in my heart. <laughs> hurricane in my heart. I also did the most masculine thing I've done for a while, which oh, was I went, for, I went for a run with Father Edmund in the hurricane. So. <laughs> in the hurricane. In the hurricane. No, it was awesome. There's like driving rain and, you know... <laughs> It reminds me of that like gift that's out there where the guy's like in a hurricane with the American flag just flying behind him. It's like, yeah, oh man, it's uh, it's been unique down here in Charlottesville because the students went home for Thanksgiving, and then I was like, all right, well, I won't see anybody for two months, and then I would say eighty percent of them are back because oh like, wow, I because all it's just finals, and then mm-hmm. they got there and like we can't study at home. Like it's not conducive right. to our studies. And so we're coming back, we're doing finals studying. So it was kind of shocking to see them around, especially those that live off campus, you know, coming to mass and things like that. It, it, it was kind of unexpected, but nice to see him. So, yeah. Well, uh, we are in the heart of the Advent season. And one of the things I love about Advent is there's actually two really beautiful um, Marian feast days where we kind of put the Advent season on pause. And we turn towards these Marian feast days and get a chance to celebrate that in this season of expectation, in this season that is probably, I would say, the most Marian uh, liturgical season that we have. And we had these really two beautiful feast days in the midst of that. So we want to talk about um, some aspects of our faith with respect to our devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And one of the things that we uh, want to talk about is Marian or Marian apparitions like what role do Marian apparitions play uh because they're pretty unique to the Catholic faith and uh we want to come to understand the uniqueness of a Marian apparition and um talk a little bit about that so Father Patrick let's let's figure this out like this is super unique to Catholics uh Marian apparitions like what what are they Uh, what what role do they play with respect to our faith Yeah, that's right. So I think to understand Marian apparitions, we have to start, we have to back up and we have to ask ourselves, okay, where is the Blessed Mother now? (laughs) So Catholics, we we have a defined belief about this. We think think something very clearly, very, very intentionally about what the Blessed Mother is doing presently. So we believe, right, that Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven, and she is now reigning gloriously with Christ. So If you believe that much, then an apparition makes a little bit more sense because uh, Mary could reveal herself in her glory to someone on earth. So it's a kind of opening for a brief moment of heaven, a a kind of offering of the the glory of heaven, uh, the love and the mercy of heaven through the Blessed Mother. And that's what an apparition is. It's a a revealing uh, of of a vision 
or of a message that can be seen or heard from the Blessed Virgin Mary, just showcasing the glory of Christ and of heaven in the present time. So for here on earth. That's that's a beautiful phrase. I'm, I'm happy you used it, but it's like a, a revealing of heaven. It's an opening of heaven so that we here on earth can get this like little glimpse of our destination and, you know, of those who have gone before us, primarily the Blessed Virgin. But it's that changes the course of, I think, what uh, our kind of pedestrian understanding of these apparitions are just like ghosts. Right. Right. Like, right. I think that's where, like, it gets a little confused. Like, are we talking about the ghost of the mother of God appearing to us or just like, is she like moving things around the house, turning lights on and off to annoy with us? Like, so it's it's a totally different thing because of of what we believe where Mary is now in in, uh, her life right now. And that that's to me the the real if you begin there. It, it changes a lot of what follows after of how we interact. So now we kind of have our beginning point, but like what role then does this Marian apparition have for uh, the Christian life and us uh, in, in, as Catholics? Yeah, the, uh, the, this is a great point. You know, and I, I love you, you just saying so clearly, like we're not talking about ghosts here. We're talking about yeah. something deeper. And if we, if we think that the Blessed Mother is revealing to us the, the glory of heaven, she, she would be doing that in a very intentional way. So she's, she's, she's coming to us to encourage us in the life of faith, to nourish us. She's coming to heal us. She's coming to reveal um, clarifications about herself, um, to exhort us. Some of these apparitions have a kind of exhortatory function. Um, some of them have prophetic functions to caution us, to warn us of the gravity of sin and the need for conversion. Um, I certainly prefer the the I certainly prefer the apparitions that are more about love than I, than I do than I do that latter category. But or but they're dangers, all true. like impending dangers. She wants to warn us from you know different dangers. Um, so that 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 can be helpful, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I think that um, I think that we see like the you know the apparitions are kind of an extension of Mary's maternal love. You know the way that your mom shows up in your life. Um, sending you a text message telling you don't do that or or just saying like, hey, honey, have a great day. My mom used to put like notes in our lunch boxes and we would find them at lunch. Um, as I got older, this became more embarrassing. When I was younger, I really liked it. Um, and then after the embarrassment, I started to really appreciate it again. Really like it again. Which is probably <laughs> so, that embarrassing stage, she did more of them. She's like, oh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but we can like, we can consider the apparitions as like, the, the the message of love of the mother, um, you know, still still reaching us here and now. We're not we're not caught off from any of the communion yep. of saints, uh, but but these messages of the Blessed Virgin Mary are 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 more 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 extensive, more immediate. And I think the other thing that is important to realize is that she's not acting as a rogue agent when these apparitions happen. Like this is uh, this is an explicit will of God the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, um, expressing and communicating with his children. And so she's not this just kind of like rogue agent who pops up every now and then, like where in the world's mm-hmm. Carmen San Diego, and you got to find her and whatnot. But like, this is uh, her, you know, manifesting in a real sense, the will of God in a maternal way to her children. And so she's never acting disconnected from her son. 
And I think that's the, you know, especially as us as Catholics, uh, a lot of the criticisms of our devotion to the Blessed Virgin is that we turn her into a deity. We've turned her into God and things like that. But when we see these apparitions, we are very clear that this is actually the will of God. It's his will that she communicate his, these kind of messages of encouragement, these messages of warning or whatever it may be, but he, he desires to communicate those to us in a maternal way. And uh, the Blessed Virgin does so in probably the most beautiful way in these apparitions and peeling back uh, that kind of, or crossing that divide between heaven and earth in there. Um yeah, so I, I find that just a really uh, important thing to understand too. That she's not, she's not going rogue here. Um, now, as we talk about these kind of visions and apparitions, um, there's there's a reason to be kind of cautious. Let's say skeptical. We know in human uh, the human condition, which is a fallen condition, um, there are many weaknesses in um, many kind of disorders that will look like hearing visions or uh, voices and things like that. So the process of saying that this is legit uh, interaction of the Blessed Virgin Mary to her children on earth, that's got to be something that's important. So if, Patrick, could you just walk us through like what the process is to actually say this is a legitimate um apparition of the Blessed Virgin compared to this is somebody's um you know, psychosis or something along those lines. Yeah, that's right. That's very clear. So we are, we are talking, we are talking about something truly supernatural. We are not talking about yeah. Cheetos shaped like the blessed Virgin Mary <laughs> or, you know, toast, rot- molded, right? molded cheese or like pieces of bread or like, to- you know, we're not talking about any kind of any, any, anything that, uh, that I would relegate to the realm of the ridiculous we're talking about a deeply supernatural (laughs) phenomenon that belongs to the life of faith that's part of our integrity as believers and because there's an integrity there there's also process and meaning and um, we bring we bring our rationality as human persons um inspired and and uh, and broadened by the life of faith we we bring all of that as we investigate and talk about (laughs) marian apparitions so we we have we, we can follow certain criteria so one of them would be is there evidence enough, reasonable evidence enough that it actually happened? Is there, is there something we can talk about? So like, if you take the example of Fatima, for example, thousands of people saw the miracle of the sun. And it, that, was, that was a supernatural phenomenon, but the, the, the preponderance of witnesses leads us to believe that the miracle of the sun happened. Or take, for example, the the apparition of Our Lady at Knock, the only apparition to take place at a parish church. Um, the the example of the apparition of Our Lady of Knock, the saints and the Blessed Mother who were there appearing, uh, didn't get wet, and so people people saw that, and there was some there was a kind of there was an element of mystery and a kind of category, uh, but something that could be clearly described and known. Um, with respect to Saint Bernadette and Lourdes, it's part of the holy part of Bernadette's holiness of life um, that that testified to to what she was seeing. In addition to all of the healings that that then happened, um, and the healings themselves were rigorously scientifically investigated. So there's this there's this category. Do we think that the factual content of the apparition happened? You know, there has to be a certain level of probability here after a thorough investigation. 
And along with that, does the apparition hold to the moral values, the, 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 the content of the great deposit of faith, or is, or is the visionary and even the message of the vision um, thwarting or opposed to church, opposed to church authority? And uh, is there some kind of new message that is blowing open um, the great deposit of faith? You know, is the blessed mother telling us that no longer are we to celebrate the Eucharist with bread and wine, but we are to always only use pizza and Pepsi? Like, you know, there, there are ways of putting things just off and saying, no, that's, that's not, that's not a genuine thing. That's ridiculous. That's some other kind of phenomenon. So there's this base category, right. Um, that, that has to be fulfilled. <laughs> So if there's, a, if there's an error on the natural level, like did the natural phenomena happen? Is there an error concerning God, Mary, the saints, the teaching of the church? Is there evidence uh, of some kind of, you know, drive for profit or, or human, human mm. deceit? Um, are Definitely. there immoral acts? Is there some kind of psychological condition complicating the testimony of the witness? Uh, all of this belongs to the kind of reasonable investigation that believers should have when, when some kind of phenomenon is, is claimed. Yeah, what I what I've seen too is this is just like more of the general understanding of um, these kind of apparitions is yes they happen to individuals, right? They're, they're the children of Fatima, they're Saint Bernadette, and they were the ones receiving this apparition, right? But it's always open to to the masses, you know. It's open to a wide group of people. It's not exclusive. Right. It, 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 it doesn't have this kind of exclusivity to this. And so, yeah, the thousands of people that saw the miracle at Son of Fatima, the thousands of people that come to the waters of Lourdes and receive interior healing, like the messages, the apparitions. Yes, they are taking place with an individual or a, a small group of people, but the message, the effects are for the for the, the widespread. And I think that's you know, one of those things that is taken into account is like, well, what, what is the fruit? Is it good fruit? Does it pr produce conversion of heart? Is it a uh, widespread or is it just for this one person to like, you know, foster, like you were saying, call to personality or profit or things like that. And we see that happen a lot of time with these locations where the apparitions take place. They turn into places of pilgrimage, lords, Fatima, Nock. Um, these are all places where uh, the faithful go and they've become sacred spaces that were not very sacred before. I, I think of Lourdes, you know? Right. Uh, a little trash heap, but next to the river, right? Yeah. And now is this absolute uh, just um, central location for conversions of heart. And that this kind of relationship between pilgrimage and conversion that is tends to always take place around uh, the Blessed Mother's apparitions. Uh, what have you seen like that continues to foster that? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So just for, just from my personal experience, um, having been to a few of these places, right? Like Lords, so Lords is the one that both Father Joseph Anthony and I really love. Um, what, what, what you, what you see is um, people's own devotion and that that is just so evident. So one of the things that the that the Blessed Mother asked at Lourdes is that priests would come there in procession, and that the example of the clergy praying the Rosary um, the, and coming to coming to the place of the apparition uh, to the grotto would would move the faithful. 
and it's moving. You know, you have these long <laughs> processions with with priests and with the sick and with all of these people and the candles and the whole thing just like draws your heart to God. And it's not just because of its cinematic choreography. It's it's because it's because there's something there's something real there. Um, so so for for me and my my own experience there, Lords, um, especially that's. Uh, that's really important to mention. By the way, if anybody cares, the uh, the criteria that I was talking about were released by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in 1978. So you can go and look some of those up if you're looking to do a deep dive later. If we're talented enough, we'll put that link in the show notes of this episode. But let's um, let's pause for a second here. Uh, now that we have a, a good understanding of Marian apparitions, their role in the Catholic life, then we'll uh, turn to a specific one for the next section. So we'll pause for a second and we'll be back with more. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Welcome back to God's Planning. Thank you for being with us again. I am Father Joseph Anthony Cress, joined by Father Patrick Briscoe. And we just covered... In a first part of this episode, uh, the Marian apparitions, that kind of element of the devotion to the Blessed Mother within the Catholic life, what it is, uh, how it operates within our life, and how do we have confidence in it? Like, what's the process to actually saying that uh, the Blessed Mother is actually appearing to her children here? Now, with that understanding, we want to turn our uh, view to a very specific Marian apparition, a very timely one for us. Uh, here in the season of Advent and in December, we want to look at uh, one that's not just timely for the calendar year, but also appropriate for us uh, here in North America. We're talking about the uh, feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the apparitions of our Blessed Mother uh, in Mexico. So it's, a, it's an important feast. Day. It's a very popular feast day here uh, in North America as well. So it's it's good for us to pause and kind of dig into this and see the role that she has uh, in the request and the kind of specifics of this apparition. So for us to understand better, Father Patrick, I want to kick it over to you and allow you to kind of give us this kind of uh, postcard overview of these apparitions of our Blessed Mother uh, in Mexico. Yeah, great. So many people have probably seen the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe around, right? but um, maybe are not familiar with the, the story of the apparition. Because even if someone's preaching on Our Lady, Our Lady of Guadalupe, like you don't always tell the story, right? You just kind of presume that people yeah. know. So if you don't know, here's the, here's the quick narrative. So one morning, it was Saturday, December 9th um, in 1531, Juan Diego, um, a, a, native, uh, a, native, a native person, was walking out um, on Tepeyac Hill, and the Blessed Mother appears to him some, sometime early in the morning, so around dawn. And she tells Juan Diego in very, very loving language, she calls him my beloved son. She tells Juan Diego to build a temple to her. And she says there at this place in this temple, I will always be ready to listen to your crying, to your sadness, to purify, to heal your miseries, your sorrows, your pains which is an incredible message. Uh, like this is the first thing that uh, she says, you know, just a, just a deep, profound message of tenderness and of love and of mercy, right? She calls him by a nickname too, right? Like a very affectionate name, if I remember correctly. 
Yeah, Juanito, this like this like very yeah. gentle, you know, my most oh. beloved one. Yeah. So uh, in order to build this tempo, she sends Juan Diego to the bishop. So the same day on Saturday, December 9th, um, he goes to the bishop and the bishop uh, does not believe the message, you know, reasonably. Like in the first part of the episode, we were talking about you need some kind of criteria, right? right. And the bishop's like, oh boy, um, <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from. Uh, and you have to have some sympathy for the poor bishop. So Juan Diego goes back to the hill and relays to the Blessed Mother the bishop's disbelief. And so she, uh, he is able to relay this message to her because she has appeared to him again around five in the evening. Okay, so that same day, Saturday, December 9th. And um, our Blessed Mother just encourages Juan Diego. She says, um, it's indispensable that through you, so the Blessed Mother is using Juan Diego, it's indispensable that through you, my wish is carried out because Juan Diego doesn't think that uh, he's the one to carry the message, which is another like beautiful part of this story, right? He, he's, he tries to tell the blessed mother, choose someone else, have someone else do this um, and expresses that beautiful humility there. But, um, but she in fact wants him to do it. And she says, it's indispensable that you Juan Diego do this. So she asks him to go again to see the Bishop. So the next day on Sunday, December 10th, Juan Diego goes again to see the Bishop same results as the first meeting, disbelief, um, except he asks for a sign. Um, so, Which is a, a good move by the bishop. Like, all right, this guy's persistent. Let's try to verify it. Let's give some objective sign. Good move. Reasonable. Perfectly reasonable. So on Sunday, December 10th, um, around three in the afternoon, he goes again to Tepeyac Hill, to the summit of the hill, and has another conversation with Our Lady. And she instructs him on Sunday to come again tomorrow, to come again on Monday, the next day. Um, and she will give the sign and that then Juan Diego would be able to take the proof back to the bishop. So what happens, though, is that Juan Diego's uncle becomes very sick and he does not come on Monday to receive the sign. Um, so he does not return. His uncle, Juan Bernardino, um, is very ill and he's stopped caring for his uncle on Monday. So his uncle declines even more, and Juan Diego uh, needs to find a priest to administer the sacraments to his uncle. So he doesn't have time, he thinks, to go and deal with the Blessed Mother and like handle this apparition and take on her special missions. So instead of going across the hill and up the hill as he would usually do, he skirted around the hill to go and look for a priest. Um, but our lady cuts him off <laughs> and she, <laughs> she finds him, she finds him on his alternative route. Um, and she, and she, um, and she there, she there gently reassures him of his son's illness. And she presents to Juan Diego roses, which he is to gather in his clothes and take to the Bishop. Okay. At the same time thereabouts that she is appearing to Juan Diego and telling him to collect the roses, our lady appears to the Sears uncle. Mm -hmm. So uh, she appears to Juan Bernardino, Juan Diego's uncle, cures him of his illness uh, and tells him that the image that he is seeing of Our Lady, um, that she is to be known always as the ever virgin Holy Mary of Guadalupe. So she reveals her name, or she reveals herself to Juan Bernardino. Okay. And then Juan Diego, Meanwhile, 
is undertaking this special errand for our lady. His uncle has been cured miraculously, but he doesn't know that. Um, he's with the bishop and he's taking the roses to the bishop and he lets down his cloak and they're stamped on his cloak after these roses, which are an out of season flower and shouldn't have appeared at that time in December in Mexico. Um, after the flowers are, are scattered, um, the beautiful image, the stamped image of Our Lady of Guadalupe appears on his cloak as he's standing before the bishop. That, yeah, I mean, it's just such a sequence of events that are fascinating and to have those stories and just like we can break them down but to also kind of take a step back and realize all this happened within like what five days like just the the kind of crazy journey to think that what what Juan Diego went on you know five days earlier he wasn't even uh you know he was just walking around the city and then bless the mother appears his his uncle gets sick his uncle gets healed he's in front of the bishop multiple times now being uh you know a, a native peasant really uh who ha who would never have the right to stand in front of the bishop and yet revealing the love and the title the name of the blessed virgin to all of the people uh her her love for the people in such a miraculous and just profound way like that was a ridiculous five days let's just call it for what it is. But that story is such a comforting, beautiful story as we go through. Um, so yeah, I, I think we should also uh, just mention the conclusion that the Bishop did believe Juan Diego. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, that's right. Very important. At with that point in time, at that point in time, he recognizes, oh, very miraculous and supports the project <laughs> of building this church on Tepe Aquil, which yeah. is now the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe where the image is enshrined. So yeah, before we point. dive like <laughs> horribly deep, okay, so now we have an understanding of Marian apparitions. We have an understanding of the background, the story, uh, the events of the Blessed Mother appearing uh, in Mexico. Um, I want to talk just very briefly about that miraculous image. Uh, and before we kind of break down the image itself, like one of the greatest miracles of um, our Lady Guadalupe is the how the image exist to this day because it mm -hmm. does exist you can go down to mexico and you can pray in front of the this miraculous image um there's like i, I think it's like one of those like moving sidewalks that you get at the uh, uh airport that you kind of like kneel down and just like kind of trucks you through by um i've i've yet to go down there i really want to but yet to do it but that's what my friends tell me you're like on those conveyor belts and it just like pulls you past the image um but the image there, there's some elements that are um, baffle human minds and scientists. The first is the the fabric of the tilma. So this kind of cloak, this poncho, this tilma is made from cactus, I believe, right? Yeah, it's some kind of cactus cloth. Cactus from fiber. My understanding. Yeah, yeah, this weird kind of fiber cactus, and the lifespan or quote unquote lifespan is less than 50 years for that type of fiber because it's organic it will break down and disintegrate it is very ecological and all that fun stuff but it's not supposed to last any longer than 50 years nobody can find any kind of uh tilma over 50 years and this one has existed since what year yeah exactly now hundreds of years hundreds 1531 of years. was the year of the apparition right and then the other aspect is the actual uh, pigment of the image on this tilma contains zero brush strokes 
like zero. It is not painted by hand. It is not painted by any type of brush. It is a part of the fabric. It is, it is itself. And so like, this is the stuff that baffles scientists because they're just like, where did this image come from? This is not of human origin is basically it. So um, that I think continues to add to this like mystery. And we as Catholics actually embrace mystery. We don't, uh, we're not like destroyed by it, but we embrace mystery and it adds to that. Um, but the image itself has so many beautiful details and such important um importance for us as Catholics. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is the Blessed Mother herself. How she presents herself is really important. So Father Patrick, how, how does she, how is she presented in this image? One of the, one of the most important things about the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is that she is, is that, is that she's a mestiza woman, right? She's neither Spanish. She's neither purely Spanish. She's neither purely indigenous, but she is herself this bridge, this person who is a bridge between these two, these two worlds, these two cultures. Um, so she appears here as a, as a beautiful young Indian maiden. Um, and, and she's, she's standing between these two worlds, between the world of the Aztecs, between the world of the Spanish Christians. And, um, and in this way is, is, embracing uh, uh, or, or rather demonstrating the kind of universal call, the universal invitation um, to love her son, Christ, um, bringing the whole world to the gospel, bringing the whole world to him. Uh, this, this is the most important starting place. Yeah, I think this is something that we continually get back to is when the Blessed Mother appears, she's drawing her children uh, to, to our father. And in doing so, in presenting herself as a mestizo woman, she's showing that uh, all in Mexico are drawn into that love and all are invited into that, that this is as kind of, um, it doesn't, uh, the love of God just transcends all of that. And if we don't really kind of recognize that right out of the gate and say that this message, right? She calls herself the blessed, holy, uh, what is it? The blessed virgin, ever virgin of Guadalupe. Like that message is for every single person. Uh, nobody is exempt from the love of God there. That and, has to be our starting place, right? And yeah. it is honestly the first thing that grips you when you see that image uh, is her there's, face. There's something new here, right? Her features, yeah. she doesn't have, she doesn't have the the pure white features of uh, of a Western European woman. Um, she has the kind of complexion of the indigenous people, and and neither is she a black Madonna, because Europe has right. Europe has a tradition of of black Madonnas. We can think of like Our Lady of Chestova, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so she's not that either. There's there's she's she's appearing she's appearing intentionally as an indigenous person of the New World, um, which is incredible. Which in 1531. And yeah, that, that's the other thing in 1531. Let's, let's remember that. Um, some of the other elements of, of this image that like after kind of, I would say like, I don't want to say getting over, but like after realizing that you start to realize the other kind of complexities of the image, there are a lot of what, what I would call like natural and celestial elements to this image that are not accidental. Like what, what mm. is the purpose? What, what are the meaning behind these kind of very natural and celestial images, the, the moon stars and things like that, that we see uh, in the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe? One of the first things that I think people notice is the rays of light, the sun kind of coming out behind her. And maybe it's not clear what it is because it looks just kind of artistic, but those are the rays of the sun, that kind of golden shield uh, behind her. This has a very clear message that she <laughs> is greater 
She is greater than the Aztec sun god. <laughs> the rays are behind her. She's standing in front of them. Um, this is what the rays mean. Um, you know, the, the, Az the Aztecs um, were very devoted to their god. And it, it had, a, it had a, a messy consequence as it was in, in their world. Um, thousands of people were sacrificed to appease this god. Um, it was, it, it was a, a, kind of, a kind of tyranny. Um, human sacrifice was, was the role of the day. And so to say, mm, this woman is the mother of another god that is greater than this god that demands sacrifice is, is a big proclamation. So the symbol of the sun is, is very, very important here, especially in the context of evangelizing of the Aztec peoples. Yeah, that um, it, it, it's such a profound statement and that she like in is in a sense blocking those rays, you know, uh, she is inserting herself there. Um, and so that's that's a profound statement, like right out of the gate and that she has this kind of um, she's not God herself. She doesn't uh, totally kind of stop the the sun and anything she's not a god herself but she has this proximity to god she has this importance in the role of the divine uh that that is communicated very much through that um through that placement of the sun behind her right um, and the medallion she wears around her neck shows which has a cross on it shows her consecration to christ you know that she that, that she is not the god she is right. pointing to the god right in Building on that kind of interaction of the Aztecs to the um, to their god, their sun god, and how they would sacrifice life, um, she also has a really important uh, role in how she's depicted with uh, motherhood and the respect of innocent life uh, compared to what the experience of the Aztec people were before that. So, how how does that get incorporated into this image? Our Lady of Guadalupe is a beautiful patroness of life, and she's very important, especially in the pro-life cause, um, in our in our fight, especially against um, abortion, the greatest tragedy of our age, um, the way that we modern peoples practice human sacrifice. But in the image, she is depicted wearing a black ribbon around her belly, indicating that indicating that she's pregnant. This was a common yeah. custom of the Aztec peoples. And so, so for for her to for her to be following this indigenous practice, it, it, it couldn't be clearer to them. You know, they would know immediately what that means. And uh, even even her posture um, is a, is a kind of posture of prayer with her hands resting on her belly, um, which gives us a, which gives us pause as we're Christians thinking about what it means for the Blessed Mother to be expecting Christ in this time of Advent to be to be in this posture of prayer, this moment of prayer. Um, waiting anticipating the the glory that's to come you know that this is the mother of god who's going to give birth to christ who will save not just one people but will save all the nations of the earth it's it's a totally different interaction with with the divine than what the aztec people were there or were used to and she's intentionally stepping into that and showing that um, the protection of innocence and that she carries life um, and she is in, involved in the curating, the, the caring of innocent life, the protecting of innocent life. And I just, the pr presentation of the Blessed Mother as bearing a child with child just is very gripping to me and I can't get away from it. So seeing the Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, presenting herself in, in, stepping into that experience is just uh, one of my favorite things to see. 
So, yeah, well um, said, well said. And think back to those first words she said to Juan Diego. You know, she right. she wants to bear your sufferings. That she that she is the compassionate one. You know, she wants to love in in moments of trial. Um, and it's totally consonant with that message of representing a, a, a God who is truly love um, and, and is something new. It, it's a God that doesn't want destruction, but wants to see the vivacity of life in its virtue and in creation, uh, which is not what I, I think a lot of times we think of the divine and definitely not what the Aztec people thought of. They were uh, in fear of their God because of his destruction and his power. And now we see something totally different that she is the mother of a divine and the divine comes as a child innocence in, in the beauty of that. Um, we talked earlier in the, I think first part about the importance of pilgrimage and conversion to, um, to apparitions. Now you have the numbers and I, I don't hear, but like, what, what was the effect of this message within the Mexican uh, people at that time? Uh, what was the conversion? How did they receive the image? How did they receive um, the fact that the Blessed Mother appeared to them specifically? Within 10 years, by the best estimates, within 10 years, some 9 million indigenous people were baptized. I mean, this is the great, this Boom. is the great miracle okay. of Guadalupe. <laughs> um, that that she that she that she brings people to her son in a, in a way in a way that people could be understood, you know one of the best sources one one of the best sources for the the story of the apparition is a document written in the Aztec written in the native language um, that appeared some twenty years after the apparition, and this is well documented, well known, well well loved by native indigenous culture. Yeah, I think that. That's just absolutely phenomenal. And whenever we do, I don't know, get frustrated with the current society and the current uh, state of life. And we're like, well, we need conversion. We need conversion. Um, yes, we do need conversion. That's not wrong. Uh, but that conversion starts with each of our own hearts. And to look at somebody like Our Lady of Guadalupe, who uh, specifically desires that conversion and brings it about, uh, through opening us and drawing us closer to God and to not be afraid of that. You know, it's a kind of tried, true, tested, 9 million did it. So why not just add yourself there? Um, all right, Patrick, last thoughts on Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, yeah, go for it. So one like great Dominican connection. And I didn't even, I didn't even realize this when I was doing it at the time. Um, I wanted, I, I love Our Lady of Guadalupe. I think devotion to her is very beautiful. So I wanted an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe in our Dominican church here in Providence in St. Pius. Um, and of course, because the church is dedicated to St. Pius um, within the life of the parish, there's some understanding of the Battle of Lepanto. We have a little internet cafe now named after it. And it's a place for evangelization in the parish. And there's a beautiful mosaic of the Battle of Lepanto, um, which took place during the, the reign of Pope Pius V. Um, so there, there's this kind of there's this kind of understanding of Lepanto and Pius V, right? That's part of our parish culture because it belongs to our patron. Okay, there was an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe that one of the admirals at the Battle of Lepanto had and prayed to at the critical moment of the naval battle. Really? Yes. 
So like, it turns out that, that my like, love for Our Lady of Guadalupe is totally consonant with what was going on in this parish community. So when we, when we enshrine the image, um, I, I learned that subsequently, uh, but, but really it's just fun. like so beautiful that it, that it all fits um, and, and is awesome. there. Yeah. Um, who wouldn't know, right? Crossing seas, crossing uh, boundaries into new worlds. Totally, uh, yeah, that's totally consistent with Our Lady of Guadalupe. And bringing about the victory for her son. That's also uh, super consistent with Our Lady of Guadalupe. All right, so thank you for joining us on this episode for Father Patrick, uh, for myself, all the other friars here. We are extremely appreciative that you spend the time uh, listening to us banter and uh, chit-chat and have fun. But we we want to let you know that we are praying for you all. Uh, We love you all. And uh, please like, share, subscribe uh, this episode in this podcast. Uh, Share it with those that you think would enjoy it and that you think would benefit from drawing closer to Our Lady of Guadalupe. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planet, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org 